Welcome to the second episode of the third series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to a woman who was awarded an MBE for her services to fashion. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She began her career in publishing as a sub-editor at The Times, before founding her own affordable luxury e-commerce site, My Wardrobe, which was later acquired by Netta Porter. She went on to hold retail leadership roles, including luxury director at Shop Direct and is a non-exec director at Next, but has since moved into retail technology as the managing director of TrueFit EMEA. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Sarah Curran Usher. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm super excited. No, you're more than welcome. And we're so excited to have you yes. on the third series of the Women in CX podcast. And a big welcome to everybody listening at home as well. Um, yeah, so this series is very much focusing on women in the business world and hearing their stories about how they got where they are and their advice for women in CX too. So my first question is going to be, with your dazzling career, how exactly have you arrived where you are? <laughs> if you'd like to tell the listeners a little bit about uh, your amazing history I'm sure they'd love to learn more thank you you know I think it's fair to say that there was never a formed solid plan but one thing that I've always I guess um, focused on which has probably kept me on this sort of similar path is an absolute passion to first of all love what you do across any role but also I've constantly been um, I'm, I'm always super interested in why people do what they do mm. and so that even more so in the you know the scope of retail mm. and in the scope of um, digital mm. I think it's uh, even more important uh, but even more exciting for for the business as well. Yeah so give us a little tour through your history then so tell us yeah. about being an entrepreneur first. <laughs> so yeah I don't think I formally sort of set about to be an entrepreneur I think that's fair to say um, I spent my 20s having various roles um, while you know within L'Oreal, Laboratoire Garnier, within advertising, within fashion, within News International where then I sort of uh, moved on and became a sub-editor at the Times and that gave me an insight into uh, digital publishing mm. uh, and consistency of style and all these things and then I left um, uh, and at the age of 30 um, I opened a fashion store so that's when I really became my own boss I guess mm. um, and then it was uh, it was just something that i finally found what I was what I loved and what actually I was good at and why I think I was good at it and why I remain good at it is that I'm constantly thinking about the customer through her eyes and their mm. eyes and that's as much was as relevant to the in-store experience and how could I keep driving her to come to the store or come back to the store and all these things um, right through to the digital experience of engagement and you know 
the life before, I guess, um, hyper one-to-one personalization, but all that sort of important insight into customer behavior. So that's when I just really found my zone. I found what I was really good at and loved. Um, and that's what sort of drew me to um, to stay within being an entrepreneur, as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I've been, um, I guess some might call it, you know, an entrepreneur in residence when I particularly when I joined Shop Direct in 2013 and launched um, their premium platform and it was very much a startup uh, in concept and in and in sort of um, and in approach but I guess you know I called us I call us a trust fund startup because you know I had access to things which in my previous startup I certainly didn't have Um, and now I'm at TrueFit that's an American uh, tech business which you know we still consider ourselves a startup um, and the EU is also kind of a, is probably more of a startup within the, the true fit sort of story than the North America. Wow, well, okay. Um, so if I, I remember rightly, you sold your business to Netta Porter originally? So we, um, so the business actually, so I left in 20, um, when did I leave? 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um for for various reasons i think you know they the the reason why i did leave actually was i felt that the proposition was going over the um was going to lose its core customer because the mm-hmm. core customer was very ba- very much about that middle shopper between net and asos mm-hmm. um probably um you know we we used to refer to it as uh, accessible luxury mm-hmm. um but uh they decided to take a much higher price point and i remember saying you know you have no uh, buying budget you've got to sort of focus on you've therefore got to focus on driving this new customer that we don't have right. uh, you're going to lose engagement you're going to lose kind of sales um and you know the they felt that m- my view was wrong theirs was right and so I decided to leave and then unfortunately they started to really go in, into a bit of a tailspin so um it was then sort of sold um to another purchaser and then uh, mm-hmm. then late, latterly sort of sold on to uh, to net but yeah you know i still remain super proud of what we did you know we were the 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 third um ecom fashion multi-brand retailer behind net and asos everything we did we learned through trial and error Mm. You know, there were no playbooks mm. to um, to how to launch a, an e-tail business. And um, and it was but it was something that I just became addicted to in terms of, you know, for me, the focus is how can I make the customer feel delighted? How can I make he, she, they feel um, special about their purchase? Mm. And that's not just therefore about uh, the experience when they receive the item, um, and you know how you make them feel good you know mm-hmm. there's only a certain amount of ribbons and packaging that mm-hmm. will that will do that you've also got to make sure that you you hit the spot on other parts of the customer journey even more so now because it's a super um, sort of uh, competitive space but then the customer is even more um, sort of expecting of mm-hmm. this sort of experience because you know you have platforms such as uh, Amazon, which is so easy to navigate, and um, you know the 
sort of real sort of personalized experience um, but also now everything is on a digital platform from the tv you watch to the music you listen to so she they are even more advanced than they ever were so understanding customer experience um, and user experience and user journey is is more important than ever there must have been some moments that really shaped you along the way to becoming a senior executive um so you know a bit of background um i got asked to leave school um after my gcse's which is essentially public school taught for expelled because um, i was disruptive and i didn't understand sort of these these rules that just didn't make any sense anymore um, and I think that that was very much um, a sign of my um, my disruptive nature yeah. because you know it's things like that that helped sort of evolve to what it is today mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I've always sort of had that view of um, looking at what is you know what's working within the non sort of uh, the, the non-fashion space um, that example of my tv for instance originally came from what you know when I was sort of um, at home and I realized sort of that the cupboards were bare and so I went on to uh, Ocado which was then just the sole sort of platform yeah. <laughs> for Waitrose and they had this thing which was you know the recipes and how to cook something and at the end of the recipes you could click to buy all the ingredients Mm -hmm. and then I thought oh my gosh well wouldn't that be the same for um, a woman's sort of staple wardrobe and seasonal wardrobe and these so it was these things that I love to look at areas um, which are uh, also customer related in their touch point but they do things differently and it kind of is really quite a freeing up experience So it was these sorts of things that then um, I think led to the, you know, the MBE, which was, um, you know, services uh, to the fashion industry globally. And that was something that was, you know, it it was kind of, uh, it finished what was essentially a bit of a heartbreaking story with the brand, brand that I'd launched and had become a little bit sort of a toxic environment for me. Um, to be recognised for that was was um, probably the the sort of booster that I needed to get up and do exclusive. Uh, yeah, to do um, very exclusive with Shop Direct. Mm. Oh, it's nice to hear that it was a painful time, but it had a sweet ending, and it led you to a new beginning. That's beautiful. Yeah, you know, mm. and I think it's there are particularly when you're in in a fast paced industry um, with you know that's that's super competitive you know there are uh, that's in itself very much after instant gratification it was rewarding to get something that was sort of 18 months after the the event you know it made me realize okay so good things can come out further down the line it doesn't sort of doesn't mean the end um so it was uh, it was a great learning experience, if I'm honest. But um, it's really awesome to hear you talking about the customer as she, and um, as a senior woman leading business. I'm sure in the big senior roles that you've taken on at different companies, you would have taken that with you. Do you did you ever find it difficult, like influencing the rest of the C-suite with your perspective? Because I, I I know from my own experience working in big retail. <laughs> Um, the customer, the way you spoke about her, isn't necessarily um, on the agenda the same way. 
So I think when I first started, particularly at Shop Direct, um, it was, I had to take them on a journey. Mm. Um, it was very much uh, decided by ROI mm. and uh, what they considered important. And mm. as a retailer, their view of what was important was not aligned to knowing their customer and what their customer felt was important. Mm. So there was an adjustment, but then interestingly enough, they kind of used um, exclusive as a bit of um, an opportunity to uh, trial out different, uh, you know, uh, uh, positions and um, different approaches to um, the on-site experience, to editorial or moving content or inspiration um, through to, you know, a more elevated package than what they already had. Mm. Um, and actually what I was trying to get them to understand is that it's not about the immediate revenue driver that you need to look at. It's got to be the long tail. It's got to be the halo effect. Mm. You know, that when you drive loyalty, you have to think outside of the, the hard ROI. You have to take a, a more of a blended 360 approach to... Mm analyzing and and you know understanding the value that's being driven um versus your own perceived uh, view of you know what uh what is right for the business versus what is right for the the customer mm -hmm. and it took a while but then they definitely you know they then embedded and onboarded a lot of the processes and um things that that i'd started um and it's part of their internal sort of um customer sort of centric approach now so but yeah you know i love a challenge i always say you know if it's um, if it was that easy, it would have been already done. Um, and, you know, if it's not challenging, it's not rewarding in the long run. So mm. I, um, I, take my, I take the view that just because uh, that's the way they've always done it, it doesn't mean that that's the right way or it doesn't mean that that's the right thing for today and tomorrow. Mm. And, and interesting that you say for today and tomorrow, because you've seen retail especially fashion and luxury retail go from stores to becoming online mm. in the last 12 months obviously <laughs> we haven't had much choice yeah. <laughs> between yeah. physical and digital I'm really interested to understand a little bit more about what true fit is and um to kind of loop back to that you know knowing your customer better than anyone that with personalization now in online surely that must have become one of the most important things to do with data yeah, absolutely. And I think the challenge has been for the sector um, that it, you know, dependent on where the the retail brand um, or platform was on their digital transformation, they were either sort of kind of already engaged and ahead enough on that, you know, on that path, or they were very much cut short. Um, mm -hmm. And so what we saw was a real adjustment in, you know, from, uh, I would say, March through to June, July, and the brands and retailers who were sufficiently um, sort of already along that sort of digital path, digital transformational path, mm -hmm. were able to uh, adjust once they had sort of realigned their stock position um cancelled out of orders and and sort of made sure that their prop you know the proposition was more in line with what the customer wanted versus what had been planned i.e lots of occasions mm -hmm. etc um and it was the customers who you know were not sufficiently progressed and were probably too 
um, too heavily weighted on their um, high street footprint that really sort of took until I would say Q4 to be in a position to move forward uh, with, you know, great sort of um, great momentum. So we, we saw some real sort of, um, I guess, some winners and losers, even though I, I hate that term. So your experience has been amazing because you saw that transition from stores being predominantly physical to growing one of the first e-tail businesses, moving through your career as uh, retail changed to become more balanced in terms of its online presence. And rightly, as you pointed out, the expectation of customers about ease of use and usability and um, ease, ease of dealing with retailers online has been shaped by Amazon. Could you tell us a bit more about TrueFit and, and what you do and um, how that's helping to drive better customer experience in that space? Yeah, so uh, TrueFit launched in um, 2005 and we started off as, you know, the name would dictate a, a sort of a size and fit solution. Um, and we've grown to have the world's largest connected data set for fashion. Um, and it's all held within our fashion genome, which you know I call the brains of the, the platform, mm -hmm. which analyzes over 17,000 retail brands, including the likes of sort of Bowdoin and Ralph Lauren, M&S more recently, um, and also 180 million TrueFit members who are registered on the platform uh, globally. So this means that we can offer up insights to improve customer experience based on how a customer shops with that retailer and also other brands they, they buy from based on insights on style, fit, size, preferences and sort of affordability. So that means that, you know, more than just what we were, which was that sort of vertical of a size and fit solution, it means that we can support our retail partners and brands um, across the whole customer experience online um, and ultimately drive up key metrics um, such as conversion or average order value or average um, order frequency, mm. uh, lifetime value. So and then it's it's then just removing the inefficiencies. And these inefficiencies are, for instance, uh, what we call sequence um, sampling. So <laughs> yeah. when um, a customer, for instance, buys a size uh, because, you know, but there's no guidance as to the, the size that she actually is. Um, so she makes an assumption it's the wrong size. She returns it and purchases another size. Uh, and then there's sample sizing where she'll buy multiple sizes of the same style. And you know that you're going to get at least one or, you know, one, two or all of that order back. Now, removal of that inefficiency is ultimately there to help protect your sort of the operational margin because um, there's a sometimes there's been a I think a slowness to truly understand the the actual cost of um, an e-com e platform and an e-com player so tidying up and particularly if you're a brand with lower um, average selling prices or lower sort of average mm. order value it's so important to to focus on um on that sort of protecting of margin. So we've really kind of, I guess, uh, broadened out from just being size and fit to now being a true sort of uh, personalization platform. 
Mm, that's so cool and I have to say I am one of those women who sometimes or quite often from online retailers the ones that fit into that bracket of lower price point and should be protecting their margin I have to order a 10 a 12 and a 14 because I just never know what size it's going to be um, because there is such a variation and yeah. even like in let's say jeans categories in some online retailers you get a size 10 and they arrive and literally they're about that big <laughs> I know. And as an industry, um, you know, we know that this has been a problem um, across the board. And, you know, even in terms of one particular brand, you can also have inconsistencies of size and fit dependent on where the garments produced. And it's just and unfortunately, I think I think maybe actually fortunately rather now that there is this also importance on the D2C, you know, the direct-to-consumer channels for these mm. brands, um, they are understanding the impact that it has had on retailers themselves mm. for a long time. Mm. So there is a, a sort of a slow move to help sort of remove these um, these issues, but it is unfortunately it's one of the one of the areas that brings the most frustration for a customer. Mm. Yeah, no, it does, and. So in some some ways, sometimes I'll get a size 10 that's clearly actually a size 12 and I'll be like, oh, I know. <laughs> feels nice. But then it happens the other way and I get very disappointed. Oh my God. <laughs> it, it can it can wreck your day. I've been there. That if you you know, that in the sort of the uh in the world of sort of digital, but then a poorly lit oh, uh, changing, changing room, room in a in an actual physical store um is equally enough to uh to take the thrill out of out of shopping. Yeah, and there's so many of them. I've never really understood why that isn't an area that gets more investment. Because if you can feel gorgeous and glamorous, like we never have our ring lights and stuff these days, don't we? Now we spend so much time on light. Totally. I think we should have totally some kind of equivalent ring lighting system. <laughs> but I think it's clothing mindset. So when uh, when I had the physical store, mm. I I understood as a customer how. Um, how the the experience in the changing room from a lighting and a mirrors perspective mm-hmm. can impact whether or not you purchase ultimately that item. Exactly. Yeah. So I always made a big focus on investing in that area because that's where you want your customer to feel the most comfortable mm-hmm. um, and the most secure. Um, but a lot of the time when you look at wider, larger multi you know sort of um, high street brands mm. that's not an area that the fd wants to invest in because they don't necessarily see what the return on investment is mm. and they don't attribute it and maybe because they don't they've not experienced it themselves they take little they put very little importance on it just thinking like most of the fds i've ever met have been white middle-aged men i don't know if that yeah, <laughs> yeah there's that a <laughs> yeah Perhaps a little correlation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, but but you've really clearly pointed out there the link between customer experience, buying more, coming back and buying, you know, buying more, feeling good when you buy something, especially in clothing and, of course, in luxury retail, um, delivers the results. And you don't have to try quite so hard (laughs) with advertising and promotion or suffer the consequences of so many returns if you do think about those things. So it's really awesome to hear you share those examples. But um, I know when we talked the first time, we discussed the principle that from, I guess, someone who's always worked in the CX side of um, business, 
how frustrating it has always been that that C-suite of executives undervalue and underrate customer experience. And I know that's something that Mm. you shared, you recognize too. Do you have a view on why that is? We've mentioned the uh, pale style male FD example. Apologies to anyone <laughs> yeah, out there for that stereotype because yeah. no, it's not all that way. But yeah, any, any thoughts on why? I think um, a lot of the industry has been so focused on driving, um, and rightly so. You know, the focus of uh, putting profit and shareholder uh, value has been at the um, top of the agenda over the actual benefit and thought for the customer um, and so when you look at um, you know that and that goes as much in terms of if you look at the reason why we've been in a position of uh, within the retail uh, sector of being overstocked um, and therefore this sort of perpetual constant discounting um, sort of drug that everyone's had to, has been hooked on yeah. is because every year there was always this drive for bigger sales. Mm. Now, um, driving bigger sales doesn't necessarily always equal driving um, stronger profits, and so there became this also disalignment. So everything that they that the FD would not feel um, added directly to that uh, that agenda and that goal. Uh, would be removed and so I think there's one of the reasons why um, you know we we have seen the issue become even more apparent is that it's a lot of the time the these FDs and decision makers just simply don't think uh, through the eyes of actually being a customer Mm. or they don't put enough importance on it Um, so the reason why it makes it's also so important to drive more women uh, within sort of leadership uh, on the customer experience side of retail, but also we need more female leadership at board level yep. as well, because we have to get, um, and, and it's, it's changing, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very much of a, of a sort of a cultural issue that we've had. Um, but, you know, getting brands and retailers to understand that actually you know, it's not necessarily always about driving strong acquisition. It's about it, retention is hugely important. That's never really been fully understood because how do you, how is it, how can you measure that? Well, you know, it's actually easy to, to measure sort of retention through lifetime value than it is necessarily mm-hmm. to understand the right sort of split in terms of um, how much you should pay for a customer. But um, yeah, so it's, but it is changing, but it has, it's been one of the reasons why the industry is in such a mess in mm. my, in my sort of perspective as a observer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting that you're saying that because I think there's definitely a link between the empathy we have as women to be able to mm. put ourselves more easily into the shoes of the customer or the employee. But absolutely, we have to balance that with the commercial rigor that we're discussing yeah today and about establishing and finding those win-wins that you can can achieve both and it's great to see how TrueFit is doing that Mm. Um, in terms of how customer experience has been perhaps pitched to you in the past as part of those board conversations what do you see the common mistakes being made by uh, more junior managers attempting to influence the C-suite executives I think so that when you sort of um, talk about customer experience, um, particularly within, you know, a, a sort of a young 
um, eager beaver, let's say. Um, sometimes there's been this real haste to bring in uh, these really kind of um, gimmicky innovations, um, which ultimately I think don't enhance the experience. So um, I remember there was a phase of um, the there was this phase of everyone talking about 3D shopping was going yeah. to be the next way. Realistically, who on earth was going to, you know, sit in front of a, a camera with, or uh, sit in front of a, a laptop or desktop with um, some sort of needed spectacles that you'd have to wear? You know, so there's some of it was just not really thought through, i.e., what would be that is that really an enhanced experience no actually because there's so many things that can go wrong um and so very expensive as well tech wise (laughs) yeah and i think you know people want to be seen as you know tech it's got to be innovative and leading edges and sexy and that's not necessarily the case actually you know you which is why thinking as a customer and thinking about what the end goal is i.e um, more customers to complete at basket um, mm. and more frequency of orders and higher orders, all these sorts of things. Mm. You know, those are the important things. So how can we enhance? How can we remove the obstacles? So rather than removing obstacles, it was almost like they were adding more obstacles mm. into the experience and mm. distracting from the ultimate goal. Um, now I think we're, we're getting to um, a really good place from um a customer experience perspective and and so I feel super positive and super excited about that um, and you know and TrueFit is you know very much a, a kind of a, a trusted partner for a lot of global brands now you know particularly when it comes to on-site personalization and not simply just size and fit but mm. other things as well. Mm. Yeah there's a couple of things really resonated with me on that um last example so I think it's that principle that you can't cut your way to growth but the discounting reliance that especially in the big box retailers that sell things at a very low price they've put themselves in that corner and it kind of perpetuates doesn't it um totally but the interesting thing for me is like this balance between growth and loyalty and it's a debate that happens constantly in the customer experience world where um like kind of loyalty and advocacy are two key metrics that yeah the unenlightened are really focused on but I think what you said there was actually about how do you remove barriers to purchase and remove the obstacles out of the way um Mm. that is absolutely a path to growth so I think whilst loyalty and retention is important and thinking about customer experience and the customer journey for me there isn't enough focus on removing those barriers um and Mm. also you know, as you said, um, taking, I'm going to say a customer or a user or however you want to describe it, whatever industry you come from, you know, being able to onboard them and uh, enable them to become a higher spending or higher um, value customer because you're actually providing them value back Mm. with your service, your experience and the um, additional benefits that they might not get elsewhere. And I think it's really important um, that I stress that you know particularly when we're talking about profitability um and sometimes i think there's this unfair assumption on towards female leadership that 
we're focused on all the the sort of uh, exciting and cozy stuff the warm stuff that kind of creates this loyalty but actually that therefore we're not looking at the bottom line Mm -hmm. and that's not the case because actually particularly if you've got a low um, average selling point protecting your uh, operational margin and operational profits is even more important because Mm -hmm. you haven't got much to go with to play with Um, but then it's about driving that uh, repeat customer through uh, strong loyalty, strong retention. Um, it's about maybe purchasing less inventory and mm-hmm. stock mm-hmm. so that you're actually selling more at a percentage of full price, um, you know, mm-hmm. actually full price versus having to constantly give out discounts to incentivize people to shop. So it's about being more efficient Mm -hmm. and so I think what COVID has allowed the industry to do is it was a bit of a wake-up call particularly when we were in February um, in sorry um, April and May and we could see that we were looking through the eyes of this sort of inventory mountain globally Mm -hmm. um, that the the habits and the the production from a seasonality perspective were not in line with customer and the customers buy now where now needs mm-hmm. um, and you know aspirations and so it was a real opportunity to press pause and do what we've always wanted to do which is tidy up our act um, mm-hmm. and stop buying at these crazy um, sort of inflated volumes because we're looking to grow another 20 percent mm-hmm. but then you know you can't at some point there comes a saturation so I think that the as terrible as COVID has been I think it has been a there's and I'm always one to try and focus on where the positives are I think there are huge positives as if we take this opportunity to tidy up our um you know our backyard as it were stop room (laughs) yeah and you know from a from an environmental perspective as well so there are you know loads of key strategies that um that I feel now are you know are real opportunities Mm. yeah fresh fashion is definitely um problematic when it comes to sustainability for the environment yeah so just to close off then thank you so much for your time if we were going to leave women in cx with any kind of top pieces of advice to be able to influence senior leaders like you what would you get them to be focusing on about sort of really um understanding okay what is this solution that i'm going to propose there to help remove Mm. um and sometimes we have to appreciate that we have to get people on a journey with us so you also have to do the graft yourself to talk to key stakeholders you know sometimes it's not you know the world isn't always backing us Mm. so we need to never be discouraged so just because one person um you know in the leadership team that you want to sort of bring on the journey says no it's a Mm. terrible idea it doesn't mean it's a terrible idea it just means they don't probably have the vision um and so you you sort of take uh take the feedback and tweak it and and improve you know it's constant enhancements constant improvements so never let someone's no be a reason why you don't think it's a valid excuse because that's Mm -hmm. just not the right thing to do and if you you know there are countless examples of amazing people you know, even Zuckerberg, you know, yeah. had a, a number of failures um, <laughs> in terms of wanting to get his 
a project off in the uh, in the early days. So, but sometimes we need to take it upon ourselves to think, okay, well, how can I convey the spirit of what it is this is looking to solve better or understand what the business priority is and sort of work backwards. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it, sometimes life is never going to be this sort of, um, this sort of shedding of waters moment and just an easy path. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, if we look back, there are reasons why we need to go back and sort of think through the the proposition and the experience and um, and tweak it and refine it. And, but, you know, take the lesson, apply it and get better. Mm-hmm. So that's my thing, because I think sometimes in life we can be so discouraged yeah. if we get a no and we sort of take it upon us and we see it as a failure and there is no such thing as failure unless you just let that stop your your sort of ultimate goal and, and ambition you know to evolve we need to completely sort of refine it's the same with any sort of tech product same with any customer experience you know you take the data and you enhance it and you make adjustments so um so that's just a, a kind of a really sort of basic one from a, a sort of keep going perspective <laughs> so basic but very inspirational I got the little feeling of goosebumps for oh me as well. darling it's from me <laughs> to you yeah, well, I know, actually, I'm going through something similar myself at the moment like in my own startup journey building this community and like just remembering that you know I'm not we're not going to get this right first time but mm. as long as we stay open and keep learning I had a tough day today and like not letting that be the thing that stops you from totally. carrying on and and, totally. and it is all about learning you're right in business in startups in customer experience in digital and technology we also just yeah. need to think about that for our self-development as well sometimes but also <laughs> you know it goes back to that so that instant gratification mm. um so we're so used to needing instant kind of recognition or it just does not work that way you need to allow that you know you might have an amazing idea but from amazing idea to to launch product might not just be sort of an overnight success Mm. Um, but there will be a reason why that is Mm. Um, and it's important that you know you tweak and you adjust your be it your pitch or be it your business plan or be it your um, you know the the new sort of browsing experience enhanced experience whatever Mm. it might be um so it's 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 never um you know from sort of launching or sort of idea to launch or success is never a sort of a quick short line it's always like mm, yeah but who, who knows 18 months later you might get an mbe <laughs> who knows darling <laughs> hearing you from the sidelines <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us on the women in cx podcast thank you for having me I've absolutely loved it it's been, thank- a, it's been fantastic oh thank, thank you. you and and thank you to everybody who listened along at home as well we'll see you all next week bye Sarah bye thanks for listening to the women in CX podcast with me Claire Musket if you enjoyed the show please drop us a like subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on and if you want to know more please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week, where in celebration of Pride, we'll be featuring a throwback to when I got to hang out with Medallia's Senior Director of Professional Services, Amanda Riches. See you all next week.